Princess Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Roberta, I missed you! <laughs> I missed you too. So much royal news to catch up on. Yeah, and Boris Johnson would take one week off. <laughs> Crazy. All the political craziness. We are back. It is Royally Obsessed, your podcast for all things royal family. And Rachel and I have a jam-packed episode because we were off last week and we are so excited to be back. The biggest things that we're talking about today, Rachel, what are they? Wimbledon, of course. Kate finally showed up. The Cambridge's PDA on the polo field. Megan and Harry, surprise sighting in Wyoming, but they're also going to be at the UN very soon. Camilla in Country Life magazine. The curious timing of Charles meeting Lilibet or revealing that part. And we're joined by Eloise Moran, author of the brand new Lady Die lookbook, which is out July 19th, aka the day after the UN appearance. <laughs> so much, as usual. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. And in honor of us being graced with Eloise Moran's presence and talking all about Princess Diana in honor of her new book, we are sipping, I am sipping a peach Bellini, which I guess was Lady Diana's favorite drink is supposedly the rumor. You also said there was another favorite drink of hers. I think she was known, she wasn't like a huge drinker is what I read, but she was known to have a glass of Chardonnay here and there. Mm -hmm. Chardonnay's Mm -hmm. not my favorite, but in her honor, I am sipping that. And cheers. You know, in honor of Eloise being here too. But Roberta, how have you been? Being reunited, we're reunited. Cheers! It feels so good. Oh my gosh! And I also feel like now I'm in the Montecito time zone, or I should say, California time zone. You're about to leave for France. We have a lot going on. The California weather looks so good on you. You're glowing. Tell me about vacation. What is interesting is I have this. Megan and Harry perspective, obviously not knowing what they really feel. But while I'm here, I'm like, I just really understand the chill, laid back calm that they get in this area. Like, I mean, I know they're Southern California. I'm in Northern California, but the energy is so relaxing and I'm appreciating it. I can only imagine how much they appreciate it. I also did want to say that I popped by the Marin Country Mart, which is near where I'm staying, and I asked this bookstore that was there, a very posh bookstore, if they carried Royal Trivia, our book, (laughs) and it was on order. Like, I don't know if they sold out or something, but they were like, yeah, we have copies due in next week, and I was very excited to know that um, we had a presence there. Speaking of Royal Trivia, if anyone's in the South Georgia area, which I feel like could be a long shot, could be not. I am doing a book signing at the Thomasville, Georgia bookstore that's called The Bookshelf this Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Come by, say hello, and I will sign a copy of Royal Trivia for you guys and talk all yeah. about the Royals. It'll be so fun. So oh my gosh, you have by. to go. I wish you, you could have be there, to Rachel. FaceTime me, Roberta. I know. But also buy your copy. Like it's such a great read. And I really forget that we wrote a book last year. Do you ever feel that way? I yeah, yes, all the time. <laughs> it's all, all the blur. time. Yeah. But France, I just was going to ask you really quick. Are you excited for France? Oh, I'm so excited. I leave this weekend. I leave, well, after the book signing, obviously I leave Sunday and I can't wait. It's going to be hot though. It's like 95 as the high. But when you were telling me about California and the dry heat and how it makes such a difference, that kind of made me a little bit more hopeful. 
Yes. So we're, we'll see. I mean, it's I'm, I'm in Florida and it's always hot. So I guess I'm just pack that now. royally obsessed sweatshirt. It's the perfect <laughs> weight for those temps. Okay. I'm just like your Cali vibes are just so chill. I love it. I love it. I'm loving it. Okay. A wonderful listener email that we wanted to note. Um, this is from Juliana, who's based in Toronto. She found our podcast while her dad was undergoing surgery for cancer removal and listened to it in the days spent waiting for his results, where it means a lot that you would spend such a difficult time with us, Juliana. She wrote, I would walk in my neighborhood and listen to you both after dropping him off at the hospital and waiting to hear that he was out of surgery. You two became a distraction and welcome, calming, and fun presence during this anxious period of my life. This is the kicker. I listened to your entire catalog in three weeks and learned so much. That is... An accomplishment. That's a lot. She also says that she visited the Samir Hussein photo exhibit at Casa Loma Castle in Toronto based on our episode with him, and it was awesome. She adds, thank you for keeping me company during this time in my life. Forever grateful. And important to note, she added a PS that she's happy to say that they got all of the cancer during surgery and his her dad Amazing. will not need any additional treatment. So oh, that was a really a um, lovely note to receive, and it means a lot to us. So thank you for writing us. Thank you, Juliana. That was a very, very sweet note. Okay, this week in royal history. And now, this week in royal history. Just flashing back to July 9th, 1982, when Michael Fagan successfully broke into Buckingham Palace for a second time, this time finally accomplishing what he wanted, which was chatting with the queen. He scaled the palace's 14-foot-high perimeter wall, which had revolving spikes and barbed wire, and climbed up a drain pipe before finding his way into the queen's bedroom at 7.15 in the morning. What a wake-up call. Yikes. That's early. <laughs> I didn't know. I don't think I remember the time that it happened. Yeah, like I, I thought it was in the day. middle of the night for some reason. His that's what I visualized it as. Was the queen was a very nice woman, quote, that's his quote, I mean, this isn't the first or the last. Last year at Christmas, on Christmas Day, actually, there was the person with the crossbow, terrifying, at Windsor Castle. And then this year, the person disguised as a priest who slept over with the barracks, the guards at the barracks, and said he was friends with Harry and all of that. So very, very strange. I just, you know, a lot happened last week with Boris Johnson resigning, also Japanese former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe assassinated. There's just like very scary times. I'm sure a lot of you know, political the, unrest. Yeah, yeah. The Queen released that statement. I feel like that. I've, I it just kind of popped into my head as we were researching this history moment. Also, another July 9th call out is that it is Prince Louis Christening Day. So back in 2018, I mean, all I can think about is Kate Middleton's gorgeous white hat band. Do you remember that? I know. That? That's what jumps that's to my mind immediately. Yeah. Also, I did look back at pictures and the way that she's looking at Louis and like beaming ear to ear is like favorite child energy. I just feel like so she hard. at that point by kid number three, she had the mom confidence down and yeah. she just could be like old hat, old hat band a little bit at the whole <laughs> experience. You know, I feel like the pressure probably from the from George and she talked about that on her podcast too. You know, she was used to it at that point by mm-hmm. the time it was Prince Louis. 
and newly minted Royal Megan in the olive green Ralph Lauren head to toe. So like the, those pictures, it just feels so historic now knowing that. Was that Louis christening also when happening. Charlotte kind of sassed the cameras or that was yes. Archie, Archie? You're not allowed. I think that, yeah. was, I think that was Charlotte. I mean, I think that was Louis christening, but I definitely Charlotte. And she stole the show in all the pictures as well. Like she's just the cutest little thing and waving. So yeah. Love it's all it. about Charlotte in the end. All right, all right Wimbledon. We were not going to miss this, but we were a little anxious before we went on our Royal Row Row break last week um, because Kate hadn't shown up. We were like, are we going to, you know, yeah. not see an appearance from her considering she is the patron of the All England Lawn Tennis Club? It was, you know, we thought she'd be kicking things off, but she surprised and delighted us for the men's singles quarterfinals. That was when her first appearance came and was followed by two more. So her first visit was with William. The second was solo. And the third, George was there, which was huge, monumental. I feel like talking about George first, just because I know I'm kind of going last to first. Now I'm jumping around, but it was just ahead of his ninth birthday. And when William first went with Diana, who was also really big on going to Wimbledon, William was just recently, he had just recently turned nine. So I think that it's kind of cool, the synergy and the parallels of that, that they, I wonder if that was a calculated move. It probably was. They wanted to wait until he was of a certain age to attend. All right, I'm going to jump back then to the first visit. So my favorite moment, Roberta, was Kate showing up in another Alessandra Rich dress, polka dots. We're seeing so many polka dot looks from her. I have a polka dot dress in my closet that I really want to bust out. And I'm sad I didn't pack for California because A, it's sustainable to rewear something from like five years ago. But I just am feeling that energy thanks to Kate. But I loved the shot of her air kissing, blowing an air kiss to her parents. Did you mm, see that? That was really sweet. Yeah. I'm, it made me around. think how strange it must be to not sit with her family at that. <laughs> right? Yeah, it is strange. And I I know that like Carol's been wearing a lot more of Kate's style. So I feel like, you know, of dresses and things and like copying or actually borrowing and tailoring some of the stuff from Kate's own closet. So it's funny because I think they're spending a lot of time together. So it would be weird to show up to this big event and not sit with your parents. But it was sweet that she like blew them a kiss. Yeah, but I am, like you said, like Carol kind of re-wearing some of Kate's styles Kate rewearing this Alessandra Witt. Not yeah. at Wimbledon, though. I think at Wimbledon. No, it, it wasn't, wasn't at Wimbledon. Really. It was yeah, a jewelry. She wore a necklace of Kate's, I think, at Wimbledon. Yeah, but in said. other appearances, yes. like I think then Kate also showing up in the Alessandra Rich. This was her first appearance mm-hmm. again at Wimbledon, which was a rewear from the Jubilee. I'm, I love the attention to sustainability. I'm going to jump to the second appearance, which was another rewear, but a less, a more of a head scratcher, I think, for a lot of people because it was the Roxanda dress that she wore on the Caribbean tour, the bright yellow. Yeah, I, I, think, qu- I have a lot of questions about this because yeah. Roxanda is a Serbian designer, which, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a lot of controversy around the player who won the women's singles and um, changing her nationality to Kazakhstanian after... Um, they banned Russian and Belarusian players. So it's interesting. It's just a choice. I don't know. And, and yeah. like you're, I think you were going to say like highlighting the Caribbean tour is not something you'd probably want. Yeah, to. like it's, you know, we know that they're so conscious of the choices they make style-wise, or at least it pe- appears that way to all of us. There's a lot of us following it in that vein. So to know that it's referencing, all we're going to think back to is the Caribbean tour, which was a, what do you call it? A tour dat. 
What's your pun for it, Roberta? Oh, disaster. It's not my pun. I've definitely borrowed it from someone. Uh, But I will say I saw, did you see Amanda Klutz posted a Mm -hmm. picture that was from the, in the distance of Kate and I see the reason for the bright yellow because Kate pops in the crowd. Oh, it's a beautiful You can dress. see her from yeah. anywhere. And you know I love that dress. I love her in bright yellow. Stunning. So, you know, I like that. And then she had the straw hat from L.K. Bennett, which was affordable and sold out in a hot second. I and love the other that hat. Ugh. I love it. It's so like old glamour, just for beautiful France. and yeah. summer chic. I want it. And the only other notable thing from this appearance was – she was there solo, but Tom Cruise was nearby. So there were a that lot of... That was creepy to me. He was I definitely looking down at her direction from a few photos, and I was like, this feels weird. But this is creepy. the thing. I will just say, I sometimes feel like a picture is worth a thousand words, but it's also just that single frame. Like, I wish, again, like, I felt like with a lot of these Wimbledon moments, I'm like, roll the tape, and I wish I had seen that exact moment. Was he just glancing around, yeah, or was it Yeah, but you know really that gazing? if she acknowledged him, it would be all over. Like, oh, yeah, she didn't. See, and she didn't. So that's yeah, weird. It was like three row distance, so maybe that would have been tricky. But yeah, it didn't there no, wasn't she any walked like right by him though. Yeah, like, that's what I was just going to say. There weren't any gathering. They could have, you know, had an exchange somehow, and they didn't. That's why it so. makes me think that she's kind of weirded out too, which makes me after that handhold right at the <laughs> Top Gun premiere. Okay, but back to George. Final visit again in Alessandra Rich. Stunning. I loved this look. I feel like the polka dots. The kind of a puff sleeve, just yeah, really, ruffle. really strikingly different than the first look. George in a suit and tie. Even William kind of brought it with the fashion on the last mm-hmm. day. Um, I also What do you think re- about George in the suit and tie, though? Because it was like the hottest day of the year in the UK. I know. I feel like it seems like a I really so, heavy outfit. I feel sad outfit. for him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm bummed out because I'm required. like – it would be so nice if he could wear like a nice it doesn't have to be informal. Like it can be a nice linen button down that's like a short sleeve little boy yeah. shirt. That's what I feel because William, I feel like had more of a summer suit on as well. Yeah. So I wonder why he went with that. Um he looked exactly like William did when he first attended. Uh I also really liked the moment when George met Djokovic and held the trophy and he was like uh, how well, how do you like the match? And George did like a double thumbs up. Did you see that? Oh, video? it was so cute. I'm all and he almost for the had double the, thumbs, thumbs up. The top almost fell off, and Kate was holding the top of the trophy so it wouldn't hit the ground. Which I guess it's really heavy because the commentators were like, "Whoa, Prince George is working out in the gym!" Like it was funny to see. Yeah. All right, hard pivot to polo. I just want to mention this because all my social feeds last week were about Kate Williams' PDA. Of course, William played in the Royal Charity Polo Cup. Kate was like in, you know, I just love seeing her glass of pims in her hand. The Amelia Wickstead dress, talking more about her fashion, was stunning. Orla was there, their dog, off leash, which is bold because... I would think with all the horses and all that activity, it would be hard for a dog to just be off leash in that environment, but nailed it. Clearly went through the training. and Yeah, that's the best behaved dog. Yeah. James Middleton must have trained that dog very well. Yes, absolutely. That's what I imagine. James was all over that. Um, but the kiss, what did you think? I don't know. I just felt like it was very rehearsed and kind of stiff, but I don't know. That's how you do a double kiss on the cheek. So what did you think? I mean, I think maybe they're just, a, it was the image thing again, where it's a single frame. It seemed a little awkward in some of the pics that I saw. I didn't really like all the comparisons that played out that were between, you know, 
because Harry had recently had a polo match and then William had this polo match. Both boys play polo. And I think if there are any kisses to compare it to, it's like if you Google the trajectory of Diana and Charles's kisses at the polo field, I'm not equating like I think it was a very happy, loving kiss. But I think that, you know, when you look back at Diana and Charles in the early days of their marriage, there were there was a lot of PDA at the, on the polo field. But I just yeah, I think it's just part it was of it. a I don't... stretch to bring like that they're copying Harry and Meghan by kissing. It just I didn't so like that to say that. But I also agree that it was kind of forced. So I don't know. They're they're like I think they're trying to be you and I talk about this a lot. They're trying to be more of the people. Maybe this is one of the ways and they're just not used to PDA in public. They don't yeah. do a lot of PDA in public. That's not their thing. So like Yeah, I'm not just it's let not them my live. thing. Just let I'm them not kiss. good. Yeah. <laughs> Should we do Camilla and Charles's updates really quick? Yes. I'm I'm like kind of bored by this, but we'll go through. So (laughs) just because like whenever, not, okay, no, it'll be fun. We, this part isn't fun. Last week we missed it though. There was another Charles scandal of him receiving money from inappropriate places after the money in Fortnum bags and suitcases and all that. But the news was overshadowed by the Clarence House spokesperson updating the press that... Charles and Camilla actually did meet Lilibet at the Platinum Jubilee and also saw Archie again. So had a reunion with both their grandkids while the Sussexes were in the UK. It's just very odd, the timing of all this. And when I say odd, it's totally barefaced, blatant use of innocent kids to distract from the bad news cycle. And I just feel like it's not something that Harry and Meghan would have sanctioned because I think that they're trying to keep their kids out of the press by being not in the UK. And yet here their own, you know, Harry's own father is dragging him back into the press. Dragging yeah, it Archie felt like that Lily. info was weaponized or something. It was like they yeah. were holding it until they could use it to their advantage. And that felt right. icky. But then it also makes me worry if there's photos that they're waiting to release when something bigger and worse breaks, if God forbid that those photos would be released in order to distract. And it does work. That's the problem is like, we don't hear too much about this like ego village scandal. Yeah. that was kind of a big deal, but now is swept under the rug. So I don't know. It's just, it makes me sad. I think that Harry and Megan are probably like, we really didn't want our kids in the press and you're using them for this. So yeah. And if this is knows? the new strategy, I'm, it's not okay. I don't like it. Well, and just one thing to add to that is the irony of, releasing if this does happen like let's say they release photos of charles with the kids when like another bad story about him breaks like the irony is that the whole platinum jubilee narrative was that harry and megan were barred from bringing cameras into everything but then someone else is taking pictures of the kids we don't even know this is all conjecture but i'm just saying like the irony of releasing stories when it was harry and megan they were worried about would leak everything is just it's crazy. And this was a very multiple journalists were given this information from a spokesperson. It was so it before wasn't, it was during the sovereign grant. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. So it was just, yeah. Anyways, uh, Camilla, her birthday is coming up on July 17th. She'll be 75. And so we've had, you know, the Country Life magazine photos that Kate took, which was really sweet. She's also on Women's Weekly on the cover. She'll also be in an ITV doc that comes out tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday at 9 p.m. on ITV. If you do have a VPN. I think you can watch it on ITV Hub. I'm planning to do that, but it's called Camille's Country Life. Here's a little clip from that. I've got to get a tube for the mug. In public. I'm 75, sure. Oh, and I are twins. And in private. When we were children, we used to be given, do you remember, the jars to catch butterflies? An exclusive glimpse into the life of the Duchess of Cornwall. 
as she takes on the role of guest editor for a national magazine. It's quite hard work, but I'm loving it. She's so good with people, she can talk to everyone. Camilla's Country Life, Wednesday the 13th of July on ITV and ITV Hub. I don't know. It sounds kind of fun. I also yeah, that has like, like great British Bake Off energy for me. I don't exactly. know why. Exactly, <laughs> Rachel, you nailed it. You nailed it. Like it's the like background loves, track or something. The yeah, little, the tidbits, tidbits are like she loves garden gnomes and she likes to go swimming in, off the coast of England and she tells naughty jokes. Like it's very Prue Leith on Great British Bake. Like it's it's. <laughs> Kind of cute, and it, I hate how much they're making me like her, but I do feel like I kind it's of okay, really like Roberta. her. Now. It's okay, <laughs> it? it's an Eloise evolution. Would say otherwise, <laughs> no, I think that it's just you know, I I don't know. Well, speaking of Eloise, great speaking segue. Of, yes, here is our chat with Eloise Moran, author of the Lady Die Lookbook, out July nineteenth. Enjoy, Rose. Rose, we are so happy to welcome Eloise Moran back to the podcast. As you'll recall, she joined us to talk Spencer last year, which feels like a lifetime ago already. She's also the genius behind at Lady Die Revenge Looks on Instagram and the author of the brand new The Lady Die Lookbook, What Diana Was Trying to Tell Us With Her Clothes. The book is out next week and available to pre-order right now. Eloise, welcome back. It's so Yay. lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. It's nice to see you. Where are you talking to us from? Just because I know you've been jet setting. You're normally on the West Coast, but where are you? Yeah, I'm usually in LA, but I'm currently in London. I've been here uh, for almost a month now promoting the book. The book came out here a month ago and um, the book is coming out on the 19th of July in the US. So I'll be back in the US soon. I'm really excited. We've been anticipating this for so long too. I remember (laughs) even going into 2022, we were like, Eloise is set for July. We were very excited to have this actually happening and have you here. It's funny because I feel like I started talking about it maybe a bit too early and it just feels like it's been the longest process <laughs> and everyone's like, wait, it's still not out. And I'm like, no, it's not out, but it's worth the wait. I promise. It's so worth the wait. It's gorgeous. The, the book is amazing. And Rachel and I were lucky to get Vance copies and we are thrilled. It's like it's wicked and it's delightful. It's everything that the Instagram is. So yeah, you have such a strong voice. That's what we were talking about. And it's just a delightful read and so colorful. And just, I want to display it very prominently in my house. (laughs) My apartment. I don't have a house. (laughs) All right. Well, we want to dive right in. Brief background about your discovery of Diana, which led to this book. You watched Diana in her own words and it changed your life. Can you tell us about that? I was going through a marriage breakup at the age of 25, 26, so pretty young to be going through something like that. And I was kind of doing all the things you do in a breakup, moping, really going through it. And um, I watched this documentary and I, prior to that, didn't have that much knowledge about Diana. I mean, I obviously knew of her and knew her to be an icon because I'm British and we have, we just, everyone knows Diana. But I watched this documentary and I just felt really, really connected to her, um, which in itself I found quite interesting because just this idea of this princess who shouldn't be relatable and she was, and especially with what I was going through. So I did more research and just came across all these outfits and it kind of occurred to me that she had this revenge wardrobe and I feel like revenge dressing is such a it's it was such a thing for me at the time and kind of 
the mentality of it has still stuck with me. And I really felt that she was doing that. And that's when I started the account. And obviously, as I learned more and more about her, and now it's been kind of years of research, I put together, I pieced together her story. And for the book, I feel like I retold her life in a very kind of uplifting and empowering way. So if you're anyone who's kind of gone through a bad breakup, or you've, you know, had a terrible work situation and maybe you've been fired or let go and this is like the ultimate empowering get your own back a la Diana like with Diana as your kind of spiritual guide but also it's um a full biography so it's just told in maybe a more uplifting way than kind of Spencer or the crown has sort of portrayed her story Yeah, it's so empowering. And this is the perfect transition. What is a revenge look? I feel like just for our listeners and, Mm. you know, I feel like Diana kind of toggled between it was revenge looks and then you kind of talk about rebellious looks as well, pre Mm. end of her marriage. I think a revenge look is anything that kind of, you know, maybe you're stepping out of your comfort zone and it's a look your ex sees you wearing and it just is like one big fuck you. Like I'm doing great on my own. I don't need you and you might wear it at the beginning to kind of get your own back or make them see what they're missing but I think ultimately where it takes you is a place of newfound confidence so the idea is yes it's revenge but it's actually for you and you're kind of getting to a good place for you and then once you're once you've gone through the motions and you're over it you just don't care anymore and you're dressing better you're looking better you're taking care of yourself so that's the idea of it (laughs) yeah I love that and I feel like Diana also always had that twinge of rebellion in her style even before her marriage to Charles ended too you talk about that completely and I think there's something really to be said about how Diana used clothes from very early on and kind of even in terms of kind of like manipulation tactics, like manipulation of the press or just kind of controlling the narrative that she could not verbally control. And I think people really, and today still, I think people really underestimate the power of what clothes can do and what they can say, but actually they can say so much and not only can they change like, you know, the perception of you to other people, but they can also change your interior dialogue as well and how you feel about yourself. And I just think I've always, I've always been a lover of clothes. I've always worked in fashion. My mum is a fashion designer. I grew up with her, you know, very kind of involved in the fashion industry. But I really do think clothes have this kind of magical ability to, you know, make you feel good about yourself. And I think if you embrace that and even just dive into it more, you'll really sort of feel it. I definitely want to hear from you on, you know, we know the revenge dress, the iconic black dress that she wore to the Serpentine Gallery, all of that big moment for Diana. But what are your top three revenge, rebellious Diana looks that you've come across in the throughout your Instagram account, but also working on this book? Yeah, so my top three, there's one that she wore on the polo field. She's wearing a pink sweatshirt. She has kind of this cute, it almost looks a bit French, this little like head scarf in her hair. She's wearing hoop earrings, a pair of carpenter jeans and pink Converse. And I just think it's such a young and fresh look. And obviously you guys live in New York, so you probably get the, that's kind of a New York look as well. And it. I just, when I first saw it, I was like, God, I would wear this exact outfit and actually I wouldn't change anything 
amazing and I think there are so many of her outfits that Mm. do that which is so cool and um I love her Versace dresses the white and black mini dresses I just think they're so crisp and minimal and they really kind of you know this idea of her stripping down and um not just in terms of like the silhouettes and the shapes but kind of rejecting the dazzling sequins of the dynasty dye era the gigantic jewels of like the 80s and and also obviously because Versace is considered to be the world's sexiest brand and I think there's there's no greater statement than coming out wearing those dresses and then the last one, I would say her, it's actually the profile picture on my Instagram account. And it was one of the last photos ever taken of her. It was in uh, Saint-Tropez, in front, the south of France. She'd just come off yacht with Dodi and she's wearing white shorts, black tank top, a little Louis Vuitton clutch and mm, um, yeah, some K-Swiss yes. sneakers. And I just think, again, it's so it's so relevant to today, that look. It doesn't look aged. There's nothing about it where you look and you're like, hmm, I would wear that now, but I would change this about it. I would wear that exactly as is. And I think that shows her timelessness. Yeah. Absolutely. Are there things from uh, your research of Diana? Like one of the things that I that struck me when looking at your book was the sloppy Joe sweatshirt that I was like, I have to have one. I need one right now. Like, are there things that you've bought yourself that you've incorporated into your own wardrobe? Yeah. So I, I have a few sloppy Joe sweatshirts actually, but I'm friends with the owners now via Instagram and they're so great. Um, so I've been lucky enough to get a few of those. I have a Virgin Atlantic sweatshirt that I found at a flea market in Los Angeles Mm. or it's in Long Beach. And it is an original one from the 90s. It has the virgin tags in and um, it was in nice condition, but it was, yeah, the man didn't know what he was selling me. I got it pretty (laughs) cheap, a bit bad, but whatever. (laughs) Finders keepers. Um, And I have, I have Diana inspired things. I actually, to my book launch um, in the UK, I wore, it's my favorite dress ever and it's probably one of the naughtiest purchases I ever made but I uh, have an Alessandra Rich polka dot dress that I wore and it has a very kind of you know the way Kate Middleton like loves an Alessandra Rich polka dot mm-hmm. dress this one was like if Diana wore an Alessandra Rich polka dot dress because but like as one of her revenge looks because it's very deep plunging neckline it was very short it's quite sexy but it's so elegant and kind of it's the red and white polka dots right yeah so cute so cute and it had a little corsage on the front so I was so excited to wear that um (laughs) and then I have some other diana-y bits yeah I have lots of inspired stuff yeah that's a good collection I love that uh do you have a warm and wonderful sweater yet no, but I think they're sending me one. They said they're oh, sending good. me one. <laughs> so hopefully. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask, because you did speak to the founders, um, Sally and Joanna. You spoke to a few people that were connected to Diana, some of the designers, like Jacques Azaguri. I hope I'm saying mm-hmm. that right. Giles yeah. and George. And one thing that stood out to me that Jacques said was that he claimed Diana called him the morning of the Dimbleby interview right? And said she needed to buy or she wanted to buy a black dress. And she also told him, I haven't done anything bad. I've just said things the way they are. What does that mean? That's so cryptic. Okay, so I found that to be out of all of the things in my book. And obviously, this was something new that I came across in my interview with him. But I found that to be so telling and striking what he said. So 
so she obviously just for context she did this panorama interview and when she first did it really no one knew it was coming and I I think people became aware it was coming in like the days leading up to the broadcast and there were rumors and then it was okay this thing is airing and I think she gave him a call within a few days before this thing where no one actually knew it was happening and like the idea of Diana doing an interview at the time on television was so unheard of that it wasn't staged it was kind of this sit down American style Barbara Walters style interview you know Mm -hmm. and um, with this journalist Martin Bashir so she called him up and she said um, so I'm gonna need a dress and she specifically wanted a very sexy dress and she requested for it to be black so that's the first thing that was quite interesting and the second thing um, she said was I haven't said anything bad I've just said things the way they are and that to me was all of the stuff last year that came out where it came out that Martin Bashir had actually faked documents so how he obtained the interview was kind of super unethical and just deceitful deceitful and like against all journalist Mm -hmm. codes and standards and that was wrong and I'm not arguing with that but at the time Prince William came out and made a statement and he said he felt that the content of what she had said in the in the interview was directly influenced by how the interview was obtained and when he said that I immediately felt uncomfortable with it because I just thought I've watched that interview so many times truly and I think as another woman, you can watch that and you know when a woman is speaking honestly and you know when a woman is speaking her truth. And she also made a statement afterwards saying nothing sort of that was said to me influenced me to do this interview along the lines of that. She said, I and she had no regret about doing it. So mm-hmm. I think by what she said to Jacques kind of, you know, insinuates to us that she knew exactly what she was mm-hmm. doing. She knew exactly what she wanted to say. She stood by what she had to say. So I think William coming out and saying that after kind of discredited it a bit, which I don't think is fair. And I think, you know, all these years later, this one moment she had to kind of speak her truth. Do we want to silence her now? I don't think that's fair. Right. Especially when, you know, she's not alive anymore to have a voice to kind of, you know, speak up and say, well, actually everything I said was true. And I meant everything I said. Not only a woman in control of her own destiny, but also sort of super aware that revenge dressing is a thing like she wanted to look sexy on the day this interview comes out on the day that Charles admits his infidelities she wanted to have the eyes on her she wanted to have the front page of the newspaper she's so smart and cunning in that way so smart and she wasn't about to you know retreat she had a pattern of doing this the night of this documentary where Charles admitted his infidelities she steps out wearing the revenge dress she stole the newspapers the next day the night she does this kind of bombshell interview the evening it's being broadcast where really she anyone else would be kind of retreating seeing the seeing the reaction and the response from like the world and the audience she was no I'm going to be out I'm going to be on display wearing this gorgeous sexy dress like she had a lot of cleavage showing it was very kind of figure hugging it was black which was obviously for Diana this historically forbidden color and um, why is it I, historically forbidden? Because I don't know if some of our listeners might know that that's reserved for mourning, right? That's why she was never yeah. really allowed to wear it. So traditionally in the royal family, black is a color of mourning. So you often you really don't see royals wearing black that much unless they're at a funeral. And um, the first dress she ever wore um, in to a public 
kind of event was this um, plunging black taffeta dress by designed by David and Elizabeth Manuel in the mm. early 80s and it was before she had formally entered the royal family and I think Charles caused a bit of a fuss about it and said well you're not wearing that are you and she said well yes I am and she thought black was the most elegant color you could wear and um, she said I'm not part of your family yet so I'm gonna wear this and then after she's kind of distanced herself from the royal family later it's kind of these moments sandwiched together this time period of her being the family and then she's stepping out in black again but for these moments of rebellion and these moments where she's really sort of and the contrast as well where in those first photos she's got her head down and in the later photos in the 90s she's it couldn't be held higher one question we had is you know charles and camilla obviously play heavily in your as the driving force in your content right and driving diana's revenge looks uh hashtag f-u-c-c uh how do you feel about the recent rehabilitation of camilla or should we say the future queen consort well, it's quite interesting because the month that um, my book came out in London, Camilla's on the front page of Vogue, or she's on the cover of Vogue, so that was a bit awkward. But, um, <laughs> that is really funny, uh, that juxtaposition. Yeah, you know what? It's it's like the book isn't designed to be harmful in any way, but I think what Camilla and Charles stand for, at least in terms of you know the story, we've all got the story, is kind of this idea of the cheating husband, and like you know the shitty husband and the like other women and and obviously it's more layered than that and there are so many intricacies and I actually don't have anything this might be controversial and I shouldn't say it but I really (laughs) I really don't have anything personal against Charles and Camilla I think it's more just what they stand for so many women can relate to have I had a Charles and Camilla in my life why yes I have (laughs) have you guys have you guys ever encountered a Charles and Camilla Yes, you have. And I, <laughs> I love them kind of standing as the villains because at the time they were. And I don't think she was treated very well by him. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely don't think she was treated by her. Should people be punished forever? No, they shouldn't. But I do think, you know, this book is for Diana. It's like girl power. And also Charles and Camilla are in a place of great privilege. So I'm not so worried about protecting them. You know? <laughs> and right. I've always loved an underdog. And in that situation, Diana was the underdog. Absolutely. She came out rising like a damn phoenix. So. Yes, I love that. I love that. F-U-C-C. I feel comfortable saying that now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think any of the modern royals have and use the sartorial power that Diana weaponized? So this might also be controversial because I am aware that this is Bring a royally yes. obsessed podcast. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately, I don't think that any of the modern royals have the same natural sartorial flair that Diana had. Mm-hmm. And I think Diana brought such natural style to the table. And it's kind of like, you know, you either have a sense of style or you don't. And I just think in terms of this is me being quite critical, but I do think Diana just had something you're born with. Mm-hmm. And I think Megan's style to me is quintessentially Californian and there's nothing like wrong about that but I just don't think she has the most interesting style I think when she has the help of stylists she looks great but I mean her boho California thing I'm not really into I do like the way she pays tribute to Diana sometimes in her clothes Kate Middleton I think is the real good girl and again I don't she's very slony to me and she sort of always will be and 
She has a very buttoned up conservative style and she kind of fits to the royal mold. And I think she dresses so well for her body. I think, you know, she wears amazing dresses by amazing designers and there's certain looks where I'm like, God, I love that. That's, she looks amazing. She looked amazing in the vampire's wife dress that she wore in that portrait recently. But I just don't think they've got that je ne sais quoi that Diana has. And, you know, I might get some hate for that, but it's just just telling my truth. No, <laughs> just no one like Diana. Yeah. yeah. Back to Diana, though, what was the most surprising thing you learned about her in your research for this book? What actually what totally surprised me most is because at the beginning of kind of embarking upon this project, which was actually a huge project, I think, you know, sometimes I my Instagram is obviously intended to be satirical. It's quite fashiony. Um, it's a little bit funny and it's more about kind of, you know, the overall vibes and the mood. <laughs> but like writing this book, I was so dedicated to getting it right. And I, I wanted to have something that had a very strong voice and, you know, came from my point of view and perspective but I didn't I really wanted it to be well researched and I can't tell you how much I read how many videos I watched how many images I went through like this was months and months and months and months of research and reading and um when I wrote it I think I started the project with kind of a similar view that a lot of people have was that in the 80s she was really overly fragile timid couldn't handle it and I think my um, perception of her afterwards changed so much that I think she actually became quite manipulative and kind of um, calculated quite early on in a way that protected her and in a way that she had to be and I think another thing which I did I actually didn't realize before I did started watching all the videos and reading kind of all the transcripts from her tapes and is that she actually has such a funny sense of humor and it's kind of similar to my humor it's very tongue-in-cheek and she's a bit cheeky I think she says a lot with the look with a funny a well-timed look and she loves to get a little comment in or a little look in you know at the at the most opportune moment and it was so you'd always see her you know rolling her eyes behind Prince Charles or if you watch the tape she I think there was one one thing where she uh, she was practicing for some speech with her voice coach um, Peter Settlin and he said to her so why did you decide you know to do this this project why did you decide you want to do this and she went because I haven't got anything better else to do and then she just burst out <laughs> laughing and mm-hmm. I just thought she's so funny and um there's another you know video you can find it deep in the bottom of YouTube somewhere but um her kids were kind of messing around as she's like with her voice coach practicing because they insisted on being in there and uh, she turns around to them and she goes be quiet she went this is about me it's all about me 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 she's obviously joking <laughs> and it's amazing. so funny and I, I've never seen that that's amazing of yeah to us. <laughs> I really um became like lost in these videos of her and you know getting to know her personality because one thing that was really important to me was I and obviously I will never know but like it was really important to me that you know if Diana were alive to read my book or go through it would it kind of make her giggle? Would she kind of like 
secretly absolutely love it and like love the digs at Camilla and love the digs at Charles and I wanted to at least make whether she would or she wouldn't I wanted to make a concerted effort to know that she'd be like hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) Eloise I love that (laughs) (laughs) Eloise the book is beautiful we've already said that there's these beautiful pictures of Diana through the years but then there's also like you said there's a biography there's so much about her that you've written what do you hope that readers take away from your book if there's one thing they take away I would love for people to get to the end of their book and dump their boyfriends (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding (laughs) I'm kidding but that would be if they're if they're toxic and definitely but I would um I really would love for people to read the book and maybe if they have this maybe the perception of Diana from what they've watched in The Crown or what they've seen in Spencer I would kind of love to just like flip that on its head a bit and I I really want people to see you know what a strong woman she was from the get-go and I want them to see all the little bits about her humor I want them to have all of these new brands to look up on eBay and, you know, stop shopping like crazy, cheap, fast fashion, like start saving for these special things or find, you know, more inexpensive things on eBay and get kind of the next best thing because it we're literally ruining the planet. And Diana loved, you know, sustainable shopping. And so that's, that's one thing. And also I just want people to feel really good when they read it and feel really sort of empowered for themselves and think, you know, if you are going through a little bit of a hard time, let Diana be your guide, you know, to make yourself feel better. Because I really thought that I just think about how my life has really come full circle. And it sounds, it sounds a bit like kooky and nutty, but like, where I was when I started. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working in a job that I really didn't like. I knew I wanted to work in fashion in some way, but really just wasn't sure where I belonged. And I think that's such a common case for lots of women in their twenties or people in their twenties in general. I was going through a terrible breakup. I was so lost, didn't know myself. And where this journey has taken me is kind of this, I'm now 30. So um, I've got that like 30 year old confidence going on for me, which is great. And I am just in a much better place. I know I want a career in writing, writing books now. I couldn't say it's going to be on another Royal, but um, it was, I, I know that that's the direction I want to be in. And truly, mm. I believe like Diana took me there that that's That's how my life has come full circle and I just filed for divorce it's fabulous (laughs) finally I love it not a second one from the first one it's just been a bit delayed in doing it well congratulations I want to hold up like a cheers to you I know (laughs) I'm like I need a drink California time over here but Eloise we cannot wait to follow along the book is fantastic everyone needs to buy it pre-order it today or this week I guess (laughs) and uh, follow Eloise at at Lady Die Revenge looks. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you, Eloise. You so this is much. so fun. It's always so great talking to you, ladies. So amazing to have her back again. Like I can't believe it's been how many months since Spencer, but fun to have her on always. Should we hit the highs and lows? Let's hit them. It's time for the royal highs and lows. My low is just that Harry's memoir is possibly delayed, although Page Six now has a new report that's saying it's not delayed and it's very juicy. So this $20 million book deal is going to pay off, I guess. It's 
definitely coming out in the fall is what page six says, although it wasn't on the Penguin Random House book list for fall, which is why everyone's freaking out that it might be delayed. But Rachel, this made us think of archetypes and where is that podcast? It dawned on me the second I touched down in California. I was like, archetypes coming this <laughs> summer and it's not here yet. So we're waiting with bated breath. I can't wait. Later this summer was what they said. So what's your low? My low is this, I, I touched on it earlier, the fact, you know, we were talking about Charles and Camilla, that they just hired Tobin Andre, who's the was the deputy editor for the Daily Mail, Daily Fail. He is their new communications secretary, which just feels like we are absolutely going in the wrong direction here. I was hoping for a progressive PR strategy as they come into their their time where he's going to be king. And this just feels like my hopes have been dashed. Um, he has no previous communications experience, by the way. The conflict of interest, I think, with Harry and Meghan's ongoing lawsuits, which they recently had a win with, doesn't feel right. Also, I just think the Daily Mail we know is the number one mudslinger against Harry and Meghan and the Sussexes. So it just feels like there's more proof that there really is an invisible contract. And I wish that they would just hire someone smart and that could really turn around their image. This just makes no sense to me. This feels sort of evil in a way. It's like, can you, I can't imagine someone in your own family hiring someone that you're actively fighting against with all the lawsuits that Harry and Meghan yeah. brought against the Daily Mail. It's like Mail. planting the enemy inside the castle. Don't do it. Ooh, What's your high? <laughs> um, my high is that Pippa, my high is Pippa. Pippa is the moment. Pippa. She just had her third baby. She also got her grad degree while pregnant. So George, Louis, and Charlotte have a new cousin. The baby girl was born a few weeks ago and I just was shocked because I didn't think she looked nine months pregnant at the Jubilee. Me neither. I was totally stunned. I thought she was like four or five months max. So, And as a reminder, Arthur's three, Grace's one. So this third baby girl, we don't know the name yet. Hopefully, you know, it's announced soon. And she didn't take it easy during mat leave. She completed her Masters of the Arts in Physical Education Sports Literacy at the University of Wales Trinity St. David. She studied how parents encourage children to activity from a young age, and she was going to present her own paper at a prestigious conference in September. It's like a baby and a master's degree and a prestigious conference. It's incredible. Pippa. I love to hear it. Pippa. I love love that one word high, Pippa. All right. My high was that Megan and Harry sighting that I we weren't we absolutely weren't supposed to see. Totally weird that we saw it but them in Wyoming for the fourth of July. An onlooker at the parade. They were at Jackson Hole and an onlooker that was an out of towner actually spotted them and posted some pictures online. I guess they were asked to move slightly or not to move, but someone they had an area that was blocked off for them to come and there was a lot of security. And then Lo and behold, the uh, you know Harry and Meghan walked up with Archie. Lilibet was not there, but it was Meghan's straw hat for me. I just Ugh. she looked so Kuyana. chic. It was stunning. I want that hat too. And then Archie, I just think he looked adorable. I know you know I don't love that we had those shots, and of course they go viral and all that stuff. But he looks so cute and kid like, and I just want more Meghan fashion, which it sounds like we might get because they are going to both be at the UN next week on July 18th in honor of Nelson Mandela International Day. Harry's giving the keynote speech. So, of course, I'm on the West Coast for this moment, Roberta. I know that you're not <laughs> New York. You would have been able to go and see them. Like, <sighs> Would I, had I stand outside the UN for this? I probably would because I felt sad that I didn't do it the last time they were in New York. I'd honestly probably dial up Romney Smith and ask her to meet me. She better be covering it. Oh, we, we should, should text her. her. We're going to call her right after this. <laughs> the one thing I will say about Archie is that that's how I feel like it's 
George should be allowed to be a little kid. You know what I mean? And it just makes me sad that, like, Archie's wearing, like, comfortable... Although, it did strike me that his, like, California Republic hat, I think he was wearing... Like, he's not really getting his British... Like, he's not growing up at all in London. And I feel kind of sad that he's not getting that part of his history. But maybe it's just a favorite style. I was going to say... Also, yeah. the difference is like George's future king, and he's nine, so maybe there's that. But pushing. still, a suit in 105 degrees. Yeah, I, I just that's cannot cool. sanction it. I cannot. Yeah, why didn't they relax that dress code? I'm I mean, they did at Royal Ascot. <laughs> yeah, they should have done that. All I don't right. know. I don't know. Just a reminder before we close: leave us a royal rating. Here is one from Kate. She DM'd. She said, "I love your podcast. My boss is on PTO this week, so I'm organizing our house, and I had a few past episodes to catch up on. What a delight! Excited for." all the Wimbledon content. I hope we fulfilled your wildest dreams, Kate. Um, please leave us a rating five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And till next week, God, God save the pod! Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.